You wouldn't do it with any other book. I don't know why we do it with the Bible. With any other book, you wouldn't dream of starting in the middle. You wouldn't think of dipping in and reading a bit here and reading a bit there, would you? Well, maybe you do. Maybe you're the kind of person who does that kind of thing. But I tell you, if you do, you won't be able to make sense of what you're reading until you go back and read it right from the start. You might think you're making sense of it, but you're only going to be guessing. You can't be sure that what you're making of it is what the person who wrote it meant you to make of it unless you read the whole thing from the beginning. And the Bible is no different. The Bible is a book that tells one story. I hope you realize that. The Bible's not a book of unconnected short stories, though many people read it like it is, and I think very often that's why they get it wrong. The Bible tells one big story that starts in Genesis and ends in Revelation, and the bits in between only make proper sense when you see where they fit in that big, long story. So can I encourage you, if you haven't done it already, read through the story of the Bible in order and see the order that things come in. Get the historical order clear first of all. Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel and Noah and Abraham and David and Solomon and the divided kingdom and the exile and return and the the coming of Jesus and the growth of the church. You get that framework first of all. And then sort out where everything else fits in, the Psalms and the Prophets and the bits like that. Find out where they fit and read them with that in mind. It's not as hard as it sounds, but if you do it in future when you dip into your Bible and pick out bits to read, you'll know where they fit. You'll be better able to understand them the way God means you to understand them. And I guarantee you'll understand the Bible in a way you never did before. You'll see things that you have never seen before, some amazing things, and you'll get so much more from reading the Bible. Reading the Bible will be so much more interesting. Well, that's by the way. This morning I want to take you to the very start of the big story. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the big story of the Bible, of course, is a story about God. And this is the very first thing that God wants us to know about him. This is God introducing himself. And what an absolutely amazing verse. Some people would say that this is the most important verse in the Bible. You can make up your own mind on that. But let me show you why I think they could be right. I want you to start by imagining that you know nothing at all about God. Complete blank mind. You never read anything, you've never heard anything, you've just picked up this book, you've opened it at page one and you have read, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And your jaw has hit the floor and you've set the book down again and you're thinking, God, whoever God is... In the beginning, God made everything. Wow! Who is this God? Who is he? And and what does this tell me about him? Well, 
I suppose if God was around to make everything when the beginning came, God must have existed before the beginning. So God himself has no beginning. There has always been God. He's eternal. He's always existed. He always will. God is forever. Can you picture that? Of course you can't. No start, no end. You look back, infinity. You look forward, infinity. It's enough to make your head sore, isn't it? And get this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That doesn't just tell me that God is forever. It tells me that God existed before time began. So God exists outside of time. And that means that God is not limited by time. He's never late. He's never early. He's never pushed for time. He has no deadlines to meet. He never has to rush. He sees the end from the beginning. He sees the whole story at once. Oh, massive headache there, isn't it? And I can see some of you starting to glaze over already. You're thinking, oh no, this is going to be heavy stuff. Don't you know, trust me, you're going to enjoy this. But let me warn you before we go on. It's good to try, but your head is just not capable of fully understanding anything to do with God. Whatever you learn about God, if you try to reason it through, sooner or later your head is going to go, you just can't cope with it. You just have to live with that, I'm afraid. There are some things that you can't understand, you just have to take God's word on them. I mean, he is God, after all. So let's leave the time idea aside. Peter puts it like this. He says, with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day, and that's good enough. But here's something else that Genesis 1 verse 1 tells me. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It tells me that God existed forever without the universe. He was perfectly satisfied, perfectly happy, For eternity, before he made the world. So he doesn't need anything in it. Not even you. God didn't make the world because he was lonely or bored. He didn't need to make it for any other reason. God is totally independent of everything in the universe. So now do you see the utter stupidity of you thinking you can give God anything or do anything for God? In Isaiah's day, people thought they could impress God with the stuff they were doing for him. And God said, heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build for me? But we're not done with that. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It tells me that God made the universe, so he's separate from it. He's not any part of it. And that means that he's not subject to any of its laws or limited by any of its boundaries. Law of gravity, what goes up must come down. Well, God doesn't have to come down again. He's not subject to the law of gravity or the laws of thermodynamics or quantum mechanics, whatever they are. 
None of it applies to God. So there's nowhere God can't go. The highest mountains, the deepest, widest oceans, solid objects, darkest space, they are no barrier to God. Can anyone hide himself in secret places so I shall not see him, says the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth? God has no limits. He's not restricted by anything. If you want a big word for that, God is transcendent. That's why he can be everywhere at once. God is here. And he's also with the Presbyterians down the road. Imagine that. All of him is here. And all of him is there too. And all of him is everywhere else. Whoa. Pass the headache pills. It's getting worse. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it was the beginning, so there was nothing to make it out of. And that tells me that God is very powerful. His power is just incredible. I mean, you imagine the most powerful thing you can think of. What is it, the sun? A billion suns? All the suns in the, in the universe? God is the source of all that power. He's at least more powerful than that. He has to be. And now here's a thought to blow your mind. God is at least that powerful. Try to imagine all of that power. And it's all here. It's all here. Because God is all here. What if God should let some of that power loose? Just a fraction of it. Isn't that scary? You do not want to be on the wrong side of God. One more. I'm enjoying this even if you're not. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. If God made everything, he made it from nothing. That tells me that God is never short of anything. Well, whatever it is, he can always make more of it. The Bible talks about the riches of God. In glory. His riches are infinite, endless. He's rich beyond belief. Now get this. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory. Wow. Pick your chin up off the floor again. And another one. In the beginning God created the heavens and earth. If God made it, then God knows where everything is and he understands perfectly how everything works. God has perfect knowledge and understanding of the whole universe, right down to the tiniest detail. You, your body, your mind, all the things deep in the oceans, hidden in remote corners, way out in space, things that men have never even yet discovered or dreamt of, God knows everything. And God knows what's best for everything. He knows the best way for everything to work. Nobody can know anything about anything better than the God who made it. How can anybody question God? How can anybody possibly think, I know a better way? Or even, I know a different way? I mean, how dare you? The arrogance of it. And we do it every day, don't we? And another one. I mean, why stop when you're on a road? 
In the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. That tells me that God can do whatever he chooses with his universe. If he made it out of nothing, he can fix it when it's broke, easy as pie, and he can change any of it any way he likes. God can do anything. There is nothing he cannot do. Are you beginning to see why this is such a big and important verse? Let's see what we've got so far. God is forever. He's not constrained by time. He doesn't need anything in the entire universe. He existed very happily without it for eternity. God is not restricted by anything in the universe. He has no limits. Its laws and boundaries don't limit him in any one way. God's power is incredible. He is rich beyond belief. There's nothing about his universe that he doesn't know and understand fully. He knows the best way of everything. He can do whatever he chooses. Wow! What a God! What a God! And all of that just from one verse. But that's still not everything you can get from Genesis 1 verse 1. People who appreciate art will will tell you that you can always tell something about an artist from his work. The ideas and images an artist comes up with, they say, give you a glimpse into his mind and personality because his mind and personality is where those ideas have come out of. Well, if you look at the stuff that God has created, it tells you things about what he's like. I mean, artists are are influenced by other people and the stuff all around them, so their work isn't truly a reflection of themselves. But with God and creation, every idea that went into making heaven and earth came out of God's mind alone. There was nothing else to influence him. So it's all an expression of who God is. Every detail, the order of it, the variety, the extravagance, the beauty, it all says something about what God is like. Now, I know the world has fallen. It's not perfect like God made it. Sin has spoiled it, but not entirely. You can still see God in what he's made. That's why it says in Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. So you think about the the order there is in everything, the way everything works so well together, the laws of nature that work consistently. What does that tell you about the mind of God? I mean, he could have made it chaotic and senseless. He's a God of order and reason. And the attention to detail. He's a God who cares about the details. He's meticulous and thorough and interested. And the extravagance of it, what does that tell you? I mean, just think of the the sheer wastefulness of God's creation. Millions upon millions of creatures, some of them never yet seen by man, stars without number. Why did God make so much? Just because he could and because he's a generous, extravagant God. And the beauty of it. He could have made it ugly. But it's full of lovely things. Things that are there just to be looked at and enjoyed. He's a God who loves what's good and lovely. Wow. What a God. Are you feeling it? Even if you're struggling with the ideas... 
Are you feeling it? I hope you are. I hope this is not just a, a list of facts about God that you're, you're writing down to be used in an argument sometime. Are you feeling it? If you look up through a, a telescope or you look down a microscope, you go to the depths of the ocean or you go to the most remote parts of the earth and everything you see, it all existed in God's mind for eternity and he just spoke and it came into being. Wow. Aren't you just gobsmacked? What a God. Words fail. And they're meant to. It's okay. You're not meant to understand completely. I told you, you, you can't try too hard and you're either going to end up making God too small or you'll come up with some kind of heresy or other. You can't understand a God who made everything. My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. Isaiah 55, verse 8. Can you search out the deep things of God? Can you find out the limits of the Almighty? They are higher than heaven. What can you do? Deeper than Sheol. What can you know? Their measure is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. Job 11, 7-9. Or Psalm 139, verse 6. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. You can't understand God. You're not meant to. Words fail. And when knowledge and understanding come to their limit, the only thing you can do, what you must do, is worship. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. Worship. It's the only possible response. It's the only right response. Worship. Worship's not just singing songs. You know that, don't you? Worship is what comes out when your heart responds to God in the way it should Worship is to be amazed, to just stand there and gobsmacked all sometimes. Worship is to fear and tremble. What if this great God should be against me? What if I should offend him or grieve him? Worship is to be thankful, thankful for the loveliness of what he's made and the ability to enjoy it. Worship is to burst out in praise. Worship is to hope. To hope that perhaps he, he might be concerned about me. To hope that perhaps he might show me some kindness. To hope that perhaps he, he might even speak. Worship is to set your ears on high alert. If only he would say something. Tell me something more of his ways and what pleases him. And then when he does speak, worship is to hang on every word and to obey. And if he should tell me what pleases him, I'll do it whatever he says. I'll obey without question. That's worship. Worship is humble submission. You are God. And me, I'm just me. That's worship. Don't you see? It's the only possible response to a God who's introduced to us with the words in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. 
Nothing else will do. Yes, they say first impressions are important. They say your first impression of someone determines how every other interaction you're going to have with that person will go. They say first impressions more than anything else will shape whatever relationship might follow. So the way God introduces himself is very, very significant, isn't it? What a God. He is so big and I am so small. What a God. Worship, amazement, awe, respect, thankfulness, honor, praise, hope, listening, obedience, unquestioning obedience, humble submission. That's where God would have your whole relationship with him start. And the whole big story of the Bible, if you're going to make sense of it, that's where you've got to start. If you don't start there, the rest will just not make sense. Not the way it's meant to. You have to read the whole story knowing that this is the God it's all about. You can't question what he says. You can't argue. You've got to take whatever comes, like it or not. You can't read God's book and think, I don't agree with that. Or I don't like that. Or that doesn't make sense to me. Or what right does God have to say this or do that? You can't read God's book and say, is this really true? You can't read God's book and think, I know a better way. Or even, that's a good idea, I could tweak that and maybe use it sometime. No, you've got to remember, God is God. And you're just you. And whatever God says, whether you understand it or not, whether you like it or not, it's how it is. Don't question it, don't argue with it, just suck it up and do what it says you've got to do. Christian, is there something in God's book that you're arguing with? Is there something his word is telling you you've got to do and you're making excuses or you're putting it off because it's going to cost you or you don't like the thought of it? Well, remember who it is who's speaking. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Let that thought stir your heart. Let it amaze you. Let it thrill you. Let it overwhelm you. Let it strike you dumb. And then whatever it is, suck it up and get on with it. Do what he says. And if you're not saved yet, this is for you too. Because the God of Genesis 1 verse 1 is the same God who tells you you need to be saved. So give over arguing and give over with your excuses. You need to be saved. Yes, there'll be a cost. There'll be things that you'll have to give up. And I'm sure there are loads of things that you don't understand and questions that you can't get answers for. But the God who made 
everything out of nothing says you need to be saved. Suck it up. Get it done. A sense of smallness. He is God and I'm just me. Do you have that now? What do you think? Most important verse in the Bible? Let's pray. Oh, Father, what can we say? What a God. (laughs) Even there, Father, just the, the thought that we can call you Father, that is just incredible to us. Father, we are overwhelmed. We are amazed. We worship. And we declare our praise to you. And oh, Father, we are just so conscious of our own smallness in comparison to your greatness. Help us as we go from here today to to bring glory to you and to tell others about our great God. And to show your greatness in the way we live. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.